Clock's ticking. Catherine's watching it for me. You ready for some good news? That's going to be our theme as we move through this book, this letter that we began last week. And hopefully you've, you're reading along already through, this, through the month and we'll continue studying this gospel account according to Mark. The first few verses, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So Mark begins with an announcement. This is the good news about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And the rest of the book or treatise that he will attempt to prove this statement by showing us Jesus. Now remember, as we looked at last week, that this author, church history assigns John Mark, so we'll call him Mark throughout. He was writing to an audience, many believe now that it was written in Rome to a Roman audience, sometime between AD 50 and AD 70, but as early as AD 50. He was writing the first maybe written record of the life and ministry of Jesus. So he's writing to an audience who he has to assume knows very little about Jesus. Maybe they've heard his name. Maybe they're only aware of conflicting accounts about him or the conspiracies and controversies surrounding him. So he writes to introduce, to correct perhaps, and to clarify to an audience that knows very little, not only about Jesus, but about Jewish history, the Jewish people, and the Hebrew scriptures. And so to receive this letter, to rightly receive it, we have to do our best to at least put ourselves into that posture, that position of coming to it as if we know very little. Now, for some, that's not going to be difficult at all. And I do hope there'd be some listening in who are exploring Jesus for the first time or with the effort to have fresh ears and soft hearts. But may that be for all of us. Now, that might be, might be difficult as many have, and many of you have studied the accounts of Jesus for years and years, even memorizing large portions of these parts of Scripture. Praise God for that, and maybe there's foundation, but we also come humbly, as I said last week, that we would come like children coming to Jesus with intrigue, curiosity, wonder, and a whole lot of questions. May we also do that in humility. There's so much more to receive. May we do it in prayer. Jesus, surprise us, inspire us, reveal God to us. And with that humble posture that recognizes no matter how long we may have been journeying after Jesus, if Jesus represents God for us, the eternal one, then there is always more to discover of who he is, his character, and what he's inviting us into. So let's enter this study with that posture. It's a life mission worth pursuing. The book of Mark claims to offer the greatest news in all history. And if it is true, it influences just about everything. Last week, I overviewed the letter, and, and, and I'd like to summarize that slightly and then expand on what is the gospel. According to Mark, that word gospel, euangelion in the Greek, literally means good news. And it was always associated with an announcing of good news, a proclamation, sometimes for a new ruler, a new emperor coming to the Roman kingdom which may not have been good news to everyone who heard. 
But that's what the word means, the good news. And Mark is now saying this truly is the good news. There's a new ruler who has come. Jesus would say in this very first chapter, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It is available now. The Greek word that he used for time is noteworthy. There's a couple different words in Greek that could have been used for time. One is kairos and one is chronos. Kairos is the word Jesus uses. Chronos is where we get the word chronology. It's a more definite moment, a time, a day, an hour. We might say that the time has come for the show to begin. It's a definitive time of day or season. The word kairos is a moment of great opportunity that has come. A military commander may use it in a long siege or battle and may say, men, now is the kairos. The battle is ready to be won. The moment has come. It's not necessarily a, an hour on the clock or a time of the day, but a moment of great opportunity. This is the word Jesus uses to say the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kairos moment is here. Take it. Take it. It's at hand. Seize the moment. An invitation and a challenge. Whatever you previously thought the gospel was, allow your definition to be rewritten by Jesus and by Mark as he presents and shows Jesus to us. Even in common vernacular, I heard it this week quoted in a, in a strange place on a news channel to take something as gospel. And I just, it, it just rang in my ears. But what, what it meant, what the person, the speaker meant was take it as truth, as fact. And while the gospel is true, if we limit it to our, our mental understanding, the way we think, then we've completely failed to understand the breadth and the depth of the gospel, according to Jesus. If we would assume that the gospel is merely a set of beliefs that to uh, adhere to or believe would mean that when we die, we get to heaven, then we have failed to understand the gospel, according to Jesus. The gospel is much more about heaven coming to earth than it is about us escaping earth and getting to heaven. In Matthew's account, Jesus taught his followers to pray, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven coming to earth. And Jesus' invitation and challenge for us to pray and live that way. Jesus would often use kingdom-type language synonymously, or at least interwovenly, to coin a new term, with heaven, kingdom and heaven. Author Donald Craybill, who wrote a book that is my subtitle, I found out later, but I think, I think it's okay, The Upside Down Kingdom, he said it this way, the central theme in the ministry and teaching of Jesus is the kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of heaven, this theme permeates Jesus' ministry, giving it coherence and clarity. It is the undisputed core, the very essence of his life and teaching. The coming of the kingdom, in other words, the gospel, the good news, is the kingdom of God. And Jesus will teach and demonstrate that what that means, 
What the coming of the gospel, the coming of the kingdom means is what I said last week, healing for the sick, justice for the oppressed, freedom for the enslaved, renewal and restoration for all that is decaying and broken, mercy for those who have made mistakes, forgiveness for those who have sinned, wisdom for those who long for truth, purpose for those who are languishing and listless, peace for those who have conflict or turmoil, provision for those who are poor, rest for the weary, power for the oppressed, strength for all who are weak, to name a few. A perfect and all-powerful king has come from heaven to earth, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, to establish his perfect kingdom. And he does so in an upside-down kind of way from our perspective, through service and through sacrifice. He gives He loves, he pours out his life for the hurting, the broken, the sick, the suffering, the marginalized and oppressed, the poor and the weak. He gives sight to the blind and voice to the voiceless. Does that sound like good news? More than ever, I hope, considering the world we live in, to put it in these kinds of terms, a governing authority who uses his power only for good, who loves, who gives, who is humble, who speaks wisdom, who shows mercy and compassion, who is just, who holds all who serve under him to the same standard and character. That's the gospel. Mary, the mother of Jesus, proclaimed this upside-down kingdom in a song while she was still pregnant with Jesus. It's known as the Magnificat, which is just a Latin term for magnify. They would often name songs or poems out of the first line of the song or the poem. And the first line is, my soul magnifies, according to Mary. So it's been called the Magnificat or magnify. I'll jump to the middle of that song. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 51 and following. You could look it up. Mary says, proclaims in song or poetic form, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. The proud and the mighty and the rich are scattered, brought down, and sent away, while the humble and hungry are exalted and filled. According to Mary, and according to the gospel writers, according to Jesus, this is good news. And it is good news to just about everyone who has ever lived throughout history. I think the only people who hear the gospel and rebel against it or reject it are ones who are in power, who want to keep that power through control, through manipulation, through oppression, and through force, through any means necessary. The ones in power in Jesus' day ultimately ended up putting him to death for threat of what his kingdom would mean for them. A reversal of that power, a giving away, a service, and a sacrifice. Before we quickly point out all of those who have fit that place throughout history, I'm sure many come as examples, and even in our present day, we would rightly reflect on our own power, our own privilege, How much difference really is there between power and privilege? And perhaps could it be 
This is why the American church has struggled so much to understand and live in the gospel, the kingdom of God. In fact, maybe to redefine it as other. Jesus will say, Mark 10, 23, when he looks around and says to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. To enter means to live in, to walk in the kingdom reality. This is why the kingdom of God is upside down from our perspective, from how we've been taught to see or taught to think. It's not like the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, the all-powerful one, proclaimed from of old, son of God, came to serve, not be served, to pour out his life on behalf of others, to empower the powerless, the lowly, the marginalized, the weak, the poor, the oppressed, the outcast, the immigrant, the disabled, the widowed, the orphaned, the enslaved, to name a few. Jesus will proclaim with his words and life that this kingdom of God was coming in ever-increasing fullness. And it had been prophesied and proclaimed and promised for a long time coming. That's how Mark chooses to begin this gospel, by pointing us to Jesus in the moment with also history behind him. Whereas the, the writers of Luke and Matthew begin at the birth of Jesus or even trace the genealogy, but they had, a, they had an audience in mind that had much more understanding of Jewish history. In fact, Matthew primarily wrote to a Jewish audience to show them how Jesus fulfilled so much of the scriptures and the time. That's why he would begin with the genealogy. Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus, his inauguration into ministry. And he says, this is the beginning of the gospel. It's a little doublespeak because yes, it begins with the ministry of Jesus as he began to teach and to live in a public way. But it also began much earlier than that because he quotes the prophet Isaiah 700 years before to show that Jesus actually fits into and fulfills a much larger narrative. It's a clear quotation, Mark 1, 2, from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 3. I won't read that one. You can look it up. But it also is a fulfillment of a couple other prophetic words and parts of the Hebrew scriptures. Listen to Malachi 3.1. And if you have your Bibles or your devices and lay Malachi 3.1 as you hear up to this passage that Mark begins with, Mark 1, 2, and 3. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is essentially how the Hebrew scriptures end with this announcement of longing, of waiting for this coming one who would be called the Messiah, the one who would save, deliver, rescue. And it would be fulfilled in Jesus, according to Mark, according to John the Baptist, who comes and proclaims that the Messiah has come. Other scholars have pointed out there's also similar language in all the way back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, proclaims the coming messenger, the angel of the Lord. And you'll see parallels to, to Mark. And we wonder if Mark had all of these passages in mind. 
because Jesus ultimately came to fulfill all of the Hebrew scriptures. He himself claimed some incredibly bold things about who he was and what he had come to do. As Matthew records in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In the gospel of, according to John, chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus again says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Pretty bold claim. And Luke gives this account. After Jesus' resurrection in Luke 24, 27, he was walking on the road with a couple of the disciples. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of the gospel writers are very careful to make this connection, to point out the transcendent fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures, the longing, the awaiting of Jesus coming to bring the kingdom of God, to bring the gospel. More accurately, Jesus is making sense of it as he fits and fulfills the narrative. But it wasn't necessarily what anyone was expecting. They were assuming a political deliverance and ruler like the kings of, of, of old, the son of David was what they were longing for. And while Jesus was, he flips the kingdom on its head. For example, Luke records Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the Jewish temple. That's how he is, begins the proclamation of the fulfillment of who Jesus is. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah, claiming it of himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm sure there were many prophecies that Jesus quoted and claimed of himself that Luke could have drawn from, and he chose this one to reveal the beginning of the kingdom of God. Good news to the poor, liberty to captives, to those who are oppressed. The passage in Isaiah chapter 61 that he's quoting from mentions healing to the brokenhearted. Are you noticing a theme? If so, you're noticing the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news which transcends time because it is the very character of God himself. It's who he always has been and is unchanging in. It's who he always will be and therefore what he does through his people and ultimately revealed and expressed in the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And if we will understand this as the kingdom of God, as the good news and what it means to live in it, both as recipients of its blessing and as agents of its expansion, then we will come to understand that the kingdom of God is present and it's also coming and already, but a not yet. It is at hand and within grasp to live in, to walk in, and yet there's, it needs to come in so much more fullness and expansion. 
And if we would look into our world, we would know that this is true. The scriptures speak and teach that this is the gospel. A whole lot more heaven coming to earth than escaping earth to get to heaven. More on that next week as I press into when heaven meets earth. Deo valente, Lord willing. Between now and then, how can we become recipients of this kingdom and agents of its expansion? Between now and next Sunday, we are sent on mission into all the places that God has already sent us. And are we being sent with new eyes and soft hearts? First, as recipients, it begins with what I'm urging us to do, to take a posture that says, I may not fully grasp the extent of the gospel in my life and then through me into places where God has called me to follow Jesus into. Take that posture. If we fully grasped the gospel, would our lives not look much more like Jesus's? So begin with humility. But also to be recipients of the gospel means being recipients of all that Jesus came to bring primarily his grace and mercy and incredible love of God the Father to all peoples, to receive in him healing, rest, fullness, restoration, peace, freedom, as we've heard testified today. We receive that knowing that we too need that mercy as we ever pursue Jesus more fully, knowing that Jesus invites us and that invitation is a challenge, but he does not invite us to something that he has not walked ahead of us in and will walk with us in. The final words of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples and to all who would follow him, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. You will not be alone. He goes ahead of us. As a symbol of saying yes to Jesus, we do this every time we gather in this kind of way. We share in a communion meal, representing the Lord's Supper at the table where Jesus is with his friends, breaking bread and sharing the juice of the vine. That table is ultimately open to all peoples. If you remember, Jesus shared it with Judas, who was about to betray him. He had already washed the feet of Judas. The table is open to all Jesus seems to not restrict that place of fellowship with him. So may we not do that. But it is intended for those who are saying yes to the kingdom promises. Yes to following Jesus, though we are just beginning perhaps to understand the extent of what that means. The disciples did not grasp the coming crucifixion and even resurrection, though Jesus had promised it again and again. So we can come and say yes to Jesus. And we thank him for that, that symbol in a tangible way, recognizing it as a slight and momentary, could we even call it meal? But it makes us long for so much more. Far more than a religious exercise, may it not be, a relational experience as if Jesus is here with us and we are in community together. How can we become agents of this kingdom because who Jesus is and what he invites and challenges us to should inspire us to live differently, to be agents of that same kingdom wherever we go 
and even however little we truly grasp of the extent of it. How can we do that this week? Very simply, it begins here. And Jesus proves this in his life and his ministry. It begins by seeing hurting, needy, poor, oppressed, voiceless, powerless, marginalized peoples. By seeing them. And then we would be able to say, Lord, can I be present with? Can I bless? Can I help? That's where the gospel begins. Extend that where you go. If you need to pray, Lord, help me see, because it's possible we don't even see those in our midst that fit all of the categories that Jesus came to pursue. One, give us eyes to see, Lord, because they're probably just being overlooked by us. Not that we've completely insulated, but if we have, Lord, then send us with soft hearts and fresh ears to listen and then to respond if you lead us to respond. Could we bring healing? Could we bring help? We're seeing walls broken down in our parking lot every Friday night. Nearly 200 people, 150 of them being people that are coming out of hunger. And I believe strongly that it is not just hunger for a meal. It is hunger to be seen, to be honored, to be blessed, for community, for mercy, for compassion, and for help. And for you that have been joining us in that, thank you. You've been extending that. You've been extensions of the kingdom. And it might feel small. What have I done? I've just been present. I've said hello. That may be all. We do have a mercy team that leans into the the lingering that takes place around that truck. When questions can be asked, you can observe and listen and watch and extend that same heart. Would you join us as we finish this month of October and then pray about how to continue to be present with and to bless peoples throughout our community, especially peoples in the greatest need. We want to be a church without walls. This will test us, but may it grow our vision and become resilient force as we move from this place into the season ahead as agents of the kingdom of God. King Jesus, help us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.